I am a revolutionary. We've got some difficult days ahead. I just want to do God's will. I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. brothers and my sisters and welcome to another episode of Jacob Seed Podcast where the diaspora speaks. The whole aim and purpose of this podcast is to get encouraging, uplifting, thought-provoking content out to the African-American community who are part of the African Semitic diaspora. I am your host, Yermi Yahoo, and I'm so glad that you guys decided to join us. As I always say, you could be doing anything else with your time you decide to rock with your boy Yemi Yahoo for just a few minutes uh, to talk about a few pack to uh, talk about a few uh, topics that impact our community as a whole. Listen, all of you who have continued to support this podcast, I truly, truly thank you. I truly, truly thank you. Those who have bought uh, merchandise, those who have uh, our monthly givers, those who have given one time, uh, whatever the impact, whatever the, the support may be, those who listen on a weekly basis um, and download and share and rate this podcast, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. Listen, y'all, uh, the best way you can support this podcast is by continuing to listen to it, uh, by downloading it, by sharing it, by rating it on whatever podcast platform that you do have listen i'm trying to get my uh youtube stuff together um so i know there's a lot of uh, there's some youtube videos that i already do have i haven't done a video in a while i'm getting those things together so look out for that as well uh you can just search jacob c podcast on youtube and see the videos that are already up all right uh let's get let's go ahead and get right into this episode right into this episode judas and the black Messiah, colonization and assimilation. So, uh, as if you if you follow me on Instagram, you can follow us on Instagram at Jacob C Twelve. Um, you already know this. Obviously, this podcast was going to come out. At least this episode was going to come out, and uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. It is a movie that chronicles the life. Um, Short life of Fred Hampton, uh, the chairman of the Black Panther Party in Chicago, Illinois, um, as well as Bill O'Neill or William O'Neill, who is the FBI informant who infiltrated uh, the Black Panther Party there in Chicago, Illinois. And it gives about the last few years, obviously, uh, when doing a movie about a a certain uh, uh, prominent character and uh, whatever history, no movie, no time really gives that person justice, right? Uh, but I will say that it's a good movie. If you haven't seen it, you can uh, go see it and however you see your movies. Um, <clears throat> but the movie had me thinking and pondering about a lot of things, as movies like this usually do. Um, so whether you're watching American Skin or... Uh, you remember your first time watching Malcolm X, um, whatever the whatever the movie is, uh, the rebirth of a nation or um, 
I don't know. But whatever movie that chronicles the struggle and the life of a Hebrew brother or Hebrew sister, um, most of our characters, our leaders, don't get the true justice that they deserve, especially when they're put up in a movie. That's just true. But however your emotions and feelings are when viewing a movie like this, um, you would understand where I'm coming from. When watching a movie about a people trying to end their struggle, in particular Hebrew people, whether they know they're Hebrews or not, it always invokes emotions that sometimes we don't know how to handle. We don't know how to navigate. So I will say um, that before you watch the movie, just know it is a movie. It is its job to rile up your emotions. Um, don't let it do that. That is a hard thing to say. I definitely understand that. But in watching something like this, we have to um, we have to use critical thinking. We have to understand the whole scheme of the story. The question or the emotion shouldn't be, well, shoot, I hate white people and those cops and pigs and whatever you want to call them. Because they are, whether you believe it or not, are impacted by the same system we are impacted by. Now, at a different level and from a different angle, but impacted nonetheless. So our issue is not with the symptoms and the agents of the system. Our issue is with the system itself. Our issue is that the system turns Hebrews against Hebrews. The issue is that our this system turns those who are oppressed, no matter what background they come from, to turn on other people who are likewise oppressed. It is the system in which we should be angry at because it is this system from day one that has created division amongst people who are oppressed, who've created division amongst people who have been stepped on, lied to, raped, pillaged, murdered, and justly incarcerated. It is this system, not the people in the system, but the system itself. Well, Yahoo isn't the system created by people? Absolutely. But it's not created by the person you're living next to. It ain't created by your coworker. It wasn't created by the cop that pulled you over, although they some of them do definitely benefit from it. And some of them use it to their own advantage. But the system, my brother, my sister, was originally created by those who are in power, who are still in power. I'm not talking about your presidents. I'm not talking about your congressmen. I'm talking about those people who are elite. <laughs> the ones who ensured the slave ships that came over the Atlantic Ocean in the 1600s. 
the ones who still own the land in which our ancestors bled, sweat, worked the bone, was hung from weeping willows, and all the such. Those who are millionaires, billionaires, owners of this business, that business, think tanks, lobbyists, who run this country based off of the insurance that was left from their slave-owning ancestors and those who insured the slave ships that brought our ancestors over here. A lot of us call them elite because we don't know who they are. We don't know them by name. If we saw them and brushed up against them at the street or shared a table with them at Starbucks, we wouldn't know who they were. But one thing we do know is that they created a system which separates the oppressed from the oppressed in a way that we can never really come together and understand that we're all being impacted in a negative way by the same system. But as long as they keep us apart, they're winning. They've been winning for a long time. But my brothers and my sisters, I believe that time is coming to an end. I don't know if it's going to end today. I don't know if it's going to end tomorrow. But if you look at the landscape of this world, more and more, these so-called elites are being exposed and the lies are being snuffed out by the truth. People are beginning to stand up and realize who they are, especially those so-called African-Americans, black people are starting to realize that we are Hebrews, a chosen nation from the loins of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And the God who created this world chose us. That's his portion. So I just wanted to use that as a precursor before we get into our conversation about Judas and the black Messiah, colonialization and assimilation. So I'm not going to be much talking about the movie in itself because I don't want to give any spoilers out. Uh, But like I said, the movie chronicles the life of Fred Hampton, the chairman of the Chicago, Illinois Black Panther Party and William or, or Bill O'Neill, who is the, is the FBI informant who infiltrated um, that party's, um, the Chicago, Illinois chapter of that party, and subsequently um, it ended how it ended. Um, so if you don't know much about Fred Hampton or what went on, I won't tell you how it ends. But excuse me, but if you're an historian and a sociologist, anthropologist, whatever it is, um, you probably already know how that story um, tragically ends. Uh, for Fred Hampton and subsequently Mr. William O'Neill. But as I was watching the movie, I had the question. I literally had to pause it. And I had to say, because before I watched the movie, I was, um, I'm just studying. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't just do this in February, I know, but um, it, it's just convenient. But I was just studying a little bit about Booker T. Washington And why was Booker T. Washington so hated amongst his own, right? And, um, you know, coming to find out, you know, Booker T. Washington, um, which W.E.B. Du Bois, which hated his own people. Um, That's my own thing. I'm not a fan of W.E.B. Du Bois or the Talented 10th. But anywho, that's another podcast for another uh, day. But W.E.B. Du Bois would coin uh, Booker T. Washington's speech in Atlanta the um, the Atlanta Compromise, I believe, or something like that. Because he didn't like the fact that Booker T. Washington 
did not want to assimilate with this country's political elite. He did not want this country's culture. He did not want this country's education. He wanted nothing from this country but to be left alone and to educate his own people, to give his people a trade. Because Booker T. Washington believed that we do not gain power or liberation by assimilating into a political system that continues to oppress us. He said the only way he believed that we would gain power and influence was through economic means. So you gain a trade. You make yourself marketable. You do something that no one else can do and that everyone else needs. Then they will have no choice but to recognize you. And then you can control your own future because now you have your own business. You control your own economy in your own neighborhood. People like W.E.B. Du Bois and the black bourgeoisies did not like that because their premise was that that we assimilate into the political systems of this Western world, that we assimilate into the educational systems that they provide for us. And then if we assimilate and be good Negro people, that one day they would accept us. Booker T. Washington obviously had a different idea. And my question was, uh, when I was watching the documentary of Booker T. Washington, it says that he was nine years old when a Union soldier came into his Virginia plantation where he was living, obviously as a slave, and told his father, told his mother, told him that they were free, that the Civil War was over. And the question on his mind, his parents' mind, and I'm sure every mind of every Hebrew that was on that plantation and plantations around this country was first celebration. We've been liberated. We've been freed. And the second question would be, well, what is freedom? What do I do now? And the question that I had, I had to pause the documentary and have a conversation with the Most High, and my, my overarching question was, why is it that when the circumstances happened that Hebrews were freed from slavery here in North America and sub- subsequently around the Caribbean and South America, the West as a whole, why did he not raise up a Moses? Why did we not get a wilderness situation why do we not get an opportunity to be washed from our slave mentality to be re-educated on our culture and our religion our spirituality given instruction by a prophet by a priest sent from the most high and have the opportunity to go back to our land Why is that? That our ancestors were able to escape the land of Egypt, be washed from their slave mentality, given back their culture, given back their heritage, given back their religion, given back their spiritual um, uh, expressions, given a land. But when we were freed, all we got was colonialization, assimilation, and get to live next to our oppressor. We still live in the land of those who oppressed us. While our ancestors 
got to be freed from the land of those who oppressed them. And not only that, they got to see their oppressors die, their own eyes. Now, I'm not advocating death for anybody. I'm not advocating violence because I don't believe that is the way up. Obviously, if you've listened to enough of these podcasts, you would understand that I believe that the way up for the Hebrew man and for the Hebrew woman is to return back to the ancient paths, as it says in the book of Jeremiah. That we ought to return back to the laws, statutes, and commandments of the Torah. Live by them. Love them. Have them hidden in your heart so that we can be freed from the situations in which we are freed in, which we are captive in. So this movie had me thinking. Every time a so-called black messiah is raised, swiftly cut down. And when I say black messiah, I say those who are advocating for the freedom and the liberation of the Hebrew man and the Hebrew woman. You know who these people are because their lives are short. They're either assassinated or exiled. They're never left alone to live a long, happy life, raising their children, loving on their wives or their husbands, seeing their children grow old and meeting their grandchildren. They're usually gunned down, assassinated in their 20s or their 30s. Most of them don't even see their 40th birthday. It is these men and women who I'm speaking of. And it is one of these persons that are chronicled in Judas and the black messiah, Fred Hampton. Not only Fred Hampton, but also Huey Newton was part of the Black Panther Party as well. And there are those who I will not name who are still alive today or part of that same party, or part of that same era, preaching the same stuff, yet they can breathe today. That's skeptical to me, but again, another podcast for another day. So the question is, obviously, okay, well, why didn't we get a Moses after slavery? Why didn't we get a Mount Sinai after slavery? Why didn't we get a Canaan after slavery? I don't know the answers to those questions. Only the Most High does. But I do know this. What happened after the Civil War was what we call the Reconstruction Period, where the Union soldiers would come down and protect the newly formed neighborhoods of uh, newly freed Hebrews so that the Southern armies would not rise again, the Confederate ways would not impact the lives of these newly freed Hebrews so they can create their own communities and business and everything flourished and everything was great and good. And for some reason, the uh, Union soldiers left. They figured we're no longer needed here. That reconstruction worked perfectly and these Southerners have forgotten their ill wills and ways and we're going to leave and everything's going to be peace and kumbaya. But we obviously know that's not what happened. From, from the time after reconstruction to this very day, racism uh, redlining, injustice in the court systems, bias in our political systems, um, prejudice in our police state systems are alive and very well. The overtaking and dismantling of our neighborhoods in the name of gentrification is alive and well. Dismantling the African-American community whether it's culture, whether it's family, 
whether it's education, is alive and well today. What Judas and the Black Messiah, what this movie exposed, is that there are some among us who are willing to be colonized and are willing to willfully assimilate. So we'll talk quickly about, number one, what is, what is colonialization? And how does that have an impact on our Hebrew communities? And then what is cultural assimila- assimilation? And how does that have an impact on our people and our community? So let's first start with colonialization because it is the easiest really to explain. Uh, so you can look at any dictionary and see that colonialization or uh, uh, is refers to a large-scale population movements where the migrants maintain strong links with their or their ancestors' former country, gaining significant privileges over other inhabitants of the territory by links. So what does that mean? A shorter definition. The action or process of settling among and establishing control over the indigenous people of an area. So colonialization looks like what people celebrate all the time in the founding of this country, the United States of America. Some Europeans came from a foreign country, landed here on this landmass, called it their own when it did not belong to them, killed off or took control of the indigenous people, created a country illegally through terror and through genocide. They call it their own colonialization. This still goes on, especially in the, on the continent of Africa looks a tad bit different. So now instead of just wiping out a whole nation of people, they get them in masses of a mass amount of debt. So now you are forever indebted to a country. And now this country, because of your debt and because of what you owe them, they have a huge amount of influence on the leadership of those African countries. And by proxy of the president or the prime minister or the colonel, Uh, Those foreign nations rule those countries, unfortunately. That is colonialization, or what we would call, it was popularized in the movie Black Panther, a colonizer. A colonizer, one who takes control of something that does not belong to them by force or by trickery. A colonizer or colonialization. So, that's what, that's what happened pre our ancestors coming to this nation. So now the America has colonized the indigenous people of this land, but now this land is of no use to them because they don't have houses, they don't have a system to set up. So now they need free labor to do all this stuff. So they grab our ancestors from the west coast of Africa. And we know how the story goes. Eventually we are so-called freed allowed to live our own lives. But here's the problem. A lot of us couldn't get anywhere. So we decided to assimilate. And that is the character of William O'Neill or Beale O'Neill in the movie Judas and the Black Messiah. He was an infiltrator, FBI informant, An assimilator, one who, because of mounting pressure, had to work for someone who oppressed him and people who looked like him. 
But in order to save his own skin, he was willing to turn on the very people that looked just like him. Doesn't that sound like a lot of people we know today? To save their own skin, whether it's to save their own skin, whether it's to get that house they want, the job they want, the car they want, the woman they want, the man they want, the fame they want, they're willing to turn on, impact, negatively impact the people that look just like them. They're willing to turn on them. They're willing to forget about them. They're willing to put their foot in their face as they're both climbing the mountain and kick them down just so they can climb up. Some call this in the scholarly world cultural, assimil- cultural assimilation. But on the block, we just call him a coon. But we'll talk about it. So uh, first, let, let's see what assimilation is, uh, specifically cultural Cultural assimilation. Uh, so the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica says that assimilation, anthropology, and, psych- and uh, sociology is the process whereby individuals or groups of differing ethnic heritages, heritages, uh, ethnic heritage are absorbed into the dominant culture of a society. So if we're talking about America, we're talking about white European culture. The process of assimilating involves taking on the traits of the dominant culture to such a degree that the assimilating groups, so-called black man, so-called black woman, become socially indistinguishable from the other members of the society. As such, assimilation is the most extreme form of acculturalization. Although assimilation may be compelled through through force or undertaken voluntarily, it is rare for a minority group to replace its previous cultural practices completely. See, that is why. So number one, we see that either through force or voluntary that people are people assimilate. And we know that it was by force with some of our ancestors way back when. But now today it is strictly, strictly voluntary. You volunteer to not like your own people. You volunteer to stick your nose up at your own people. You volunteer never to go back into the neighborhood in which you come from. You volunteer not to turn around and, and grab the hand of a young man or a young woman and pull them up to where you are. You, you volunteer to talk bad about the people that look just like you when you're around people that don't look nothing like you, don't care nothing about you. You volunteer to want to be just like your oppressor. When Proverbs 3.31 says that we should not envy thou oppressor nor choose any of their ways. You volunteer to do that But I like what it says here It says that it is rare for a minority group To replace its previous cultural practices Completely Isn't it crazy Isn't it funny That a lot of things that we do now As a people Resemble the same thing that the Israelites did back then. How do we know? Number one, we can read the first five books of the Bible, which are called the Pentateuch or the or the uh, or the Torah, and we see a lot of traditions that the Israelites have. We we kind of, in a way, have similar traditions today. Uh, you can also read our oral traditions in the Mishnah or the Talmud and kind of see a glimpse of how they lived, how they thought, how they moved. A lot of their prayers, their communication. Sounds a lot like what we do as a people today. And we don't have the time, don't even know why we're doing it. 
It's just in our DNA. It's just a part of our culture. So even in, assimila- even in assimilation, whether forced or voluntary, it's hard to completely get away from your culture. Let's keep reading. Um, go back to this line. It says, although assimilation may be compelled through force or undertaken voluntarily, it is rare for a minority group to replace its previous culture practices completely. Religion, food, preferences, um, physical distance between people as a given social situation, um, and anesthetics are among the characteristics that tend to be most resistant to change. Assimilation does not denote racial or biological fusion, though such fusion may occur. So the fact that it says it is rare for assimilation to pack, assimilation to impact religion, food preferences, and all these different things tells you how much of an impact that's the, that slavery had on our people to accept the religion, to accept the culture, and to accept just the whole experience of a Western European mind, even down to the food. Because, yes, some, some of the stuff we did eat, but most of we didn't eat all this hog and pig and all that crap. We weren't doing all that, man. If you look at our ancestors in, in, in the, West, uh, the Western region of Africa, even in the Middle East, their, their majority um, diet was berries and nuts and, and, and vegetables and fruits that were grown from the trees. Yes, they ate oxen and, and sheep, but, it was, but meat wasn't a huge part of their diet. Definitely not pork. The majority of their diet ranged from vegetation, nuts, and berries. But yet, when we came over here, we were forced to eat what the slave owner gave us. Because if not, it was either eat that, starve to death, Most of us chose through force because there was nothing else there to eat what we was given, to make something up along the way, unfortunately. And I'm sure there were some of us who were zealous who probably did starve to death. And I'm sure if we look hard enough and dig hard enough, there'd probably be some records of that too. Let's keep on about this um, idea of assimilation, cultural assimilation. It says, attempts to compel minority groups to assimilate have occurred frequently in world history. The forced, assimilation, the forced assimilation of indigenous people was particularly common in the Europe, European colonial empires in the 18th, 19th, 20th centuries. In North and South America, Australia, Africa, and Asia, colonial policies toward indigenous people frequently compelled their religious conversions, the removal of children from their family, and the division of community property into stable, individually owned parcels of land, the undermining of local economies, and gender roles by shifting responsibility for farming or other forms of production from women to men, the elimination of access to indigenous foodstuffs, forced assimilation, and rare forced assimilation is rarely successful. And it generally has enduring negative consequences for the recipient culture. So the only problem is that they just listed this whole paragraph of forced assimilation that was successful in North, South America, Australia, Africa, Asia. But it says it's rarely successful. The problem is it's very successful. That's why we have most of the world 
acting and looking, sounding like Western Europeans. When Western European ideas, thoughts, and even looks, the people of the minority of the world. How do you get that? Through forced cultural assimilation. Let's keep going. And notice in here, they talked about how they, um, they removed their children. So now I'm, I'm going to teach your child how to be like we are. Um, they compelled their religious conversions. So it was forced religious conversions, which proved that we was given Christianity and Islam and all this stuff that was not our original religion. It says um, individual, it says that the division of community property shows that a lot of these, indiv- these, these indigenous people were communal. But what they would do was sell off the land and create communities as we see them today. So if you ride down your neighborhood, you, you, you have an individual parcel of land, whether it's a half acre, one acre, two acres, a third of an acre. You know, if you live in New York, Chicago, or something like that, you live in L.A., it's probably point zero something parts of an acre, right? Um, it says it shift the responsibility uh, as far as gender roles are concerned. And I have a whole podcast about the real agenda of Black Lives Matter and how they're wanting to dismantle the black family by switching up gender roles. So you can tell that organization is not run by the people or for the people, but it's run by the elites who continue to perpetuate this society of oppression. It's not an organization that a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman should be a part of. Black Lives Matter. Let's keep reading, though. It says, voluntary assimilation, I'll bet, usually affected under pressure from the dominant culture. So now they've put pressure on you. And either you're going to crack or you're going to turn back to the ancient paths. Unfortunately, most of us crack. Anywho, voluntarily assimilation, I'll bet, usually affected under pressure from the dominant culture has also been prevalent in the historical record. One such case dates in the Spanish Inquisition of the late 14th and 15th century, when many Muslims and Jews responded to religious persecution by voluntarily converting to Roman Catholicism, known as Moricos or Marianos. Respectively, they secretly continued to practice their original uh, religion. So we know in 1492 um, that we had the, the Spanish Inquisitions. Um, we also know that in the Middle East, um, if you believe there's a place called the Middle East, but yes, we know it's the Middle East. We don't call it the Middle East because that's what they call it, Middle East. So it's more popularly known as. Um, they talk about the, the forced conversion of Roman Catholicism. We know in the Middle East, especially um, in modern day uh, Turkey, Jordan, Iran, Iraq, um, even around the Israel lands of Israel and Eastern Africa, a lot of our, a lot of our brothers and sisters who were Hebrews, who were Jews, were forced into um, Islamic ways of life, all right? Um, so it's on both sides. Some, for some reason, they just highlight the forced conversion to uh, Roman Catholicism or Christianity. It also shows that it's not, that's not our religion. Uh, they would force also Christianity again on our ancestors who were uh, sent to these, this Western uh, hemisphere as slaves. So that's not the religion of our ancestors. So another example of voluntary assimilation occurred, okay, no, occurred during the 18th and 19th century when millions of Europeans moved to the United States. 
In this case, being able to pass as a member of the dominant Anglo-Protestant culture was an important hedge against violent native groups such as the Know Nothing Party. So we had a lot of people from um, Ireland, Scotland, um, a lot of people from uh, Norway and all these different European countries that would come to the United States to try to um, escape uh, political persecution or famine or whatever it may be. Uh, but, but those from the United States knew that, hey, you're not European Protestant. You're Catholic, you're church of whatever. Um, you're not one of us. So what they would do is because they could pass as one of these Europeans, they would just assimilate into the culture uh, again under pressure. Some of us turn into diamonds. Some of us just crack. So although popular notions generally presume that the complete assimilation occurred among immigrants of urine descent, research in the late 20th and earliest 21st century advocated a more nuanced and pluralistic view of historical culture change among the American ethnic groups. So it's funny because what they don't talk about when it comes to assimilation is the African-American community and how we assimilated our, how we've taken their religion, we've accepted their education programs, and we have, we have accepted the Western idea of what it means to be successful. And that was the problem with, I had with this movie of Judas and the Black Messiah, that Mr. O'Neill, an FBI informant, and we all know what an informant is, uh, people call him a rat or whatever, or, or in this way we call them a plant, because uh, you best believe that they are probably watching this movement um, because of the rhetoric that they probably see some, from some of our brothers and sisters standing on a street corner, or just the fact that they know that uh, realizing your true identity and operating in your true um, spiritual uh, 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 reflections and religion uh, gives power and, libera and liberation to a people. So you best believe they got people up in here watching what we're doing. And some may be in your assembly or your camp. Some of them may be leaders of your assemblies in your camps. Don't think it impossible, all right? Anywho, um, they don't mention is the forced assimilation of the African-American communities in any of these things. Most of the time it's by under pressure, but we know it started by force. Especially accepting these Western views and ideas of what success is. But if, 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 if we want to go back to our ancient ways and our ancient paths, we have to accept what uh, is successful in the eyes of our culture, which is an Eastern Hebrew culture. Um, let me get this scripture for you to show you guys what success really looks like. So I'm, I'm in Joshua, Joshua, Joshua chapter one, starting at verse seven, it says, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whither over thy goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For, the, excuse me, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. I'll read that again. That's Joshua. Uh, this, is, this is the eighth verse. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, 
but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So you want to be prosperous? You want to have good success? You need to go back to the ancient paths and not through force or through uh, pressure assimilate to the dominant culture of the Western society nor accept the lies that the system continues to tell us. We must meditate day and night on the Torah the laws of the Most High, that they be sweet honey upon our lips, that we've meditated on them so much and so hard and so often that they've become hidden in our hearts and that when we need them, when, when a time or a situation or a circumstance comes up when we need them and we don't have the scriptures in front of us or our phone with us, that it is so entrenched in our souls we're so connected with the spirit of the most high. As it said that the spirit, Yahshua said that the spirit would give us a remembrance of what's in our hearts and souls when pertaining to the laws and the things that he taught his disciples. That it will well up inside of us like living waters and trickle up our esophagus and roll over our tongue and come out like power from a stick of dynamite. We got to meditate on the law so much that it just becomes a part of us. It becomes a part of the way we think. It becomes the part of the way we walk. It becomes the part of the way we talk becomes the very essence of who we are. My brothers and my sisters, we do not need to be like a Bill O'Neill who would infiltrate, set up, and dismantle his own people for what seems like success and an escape from oppression. But we need to love on our people and love the God who chose our people more than we love this system that we are in more than you love your job more than you love your home more than you love that car more than you love your season tickets more than you love public aid and welfare whatever wherever you at whatever this system has given you I pray that you are like Rabbi Shaul and say, all that I have gained, I count it as lost to know Yahshua, the power of his resurrection. Don't get sucked up in this system to a point that colonialization and assimilation become who you are, my brother, who you are, my sister. We've already been colonized. So now what we have to do, we have to decolonize our minds and quit believing the lies that the system gives us. And we have to choose against assimilation. But choose harmony with our brothers and sisters. 
who are being oppressed all around this world and communicate with them who they are and how to get out of this system, whether physically or whether in your mind. And it's only through the study of this Torah that we can do that. It's only through living out the character and the teachings of Yahshua that we can do that. Judas and the black Messiah. For every black Messiah, there is a Judas. Yahshua had a Judas. David had a Judas. Fortunately, it'd be his own offspring. Moses had Judas's Korahs and Dathans. For every black Messiah, there will be a Judas. Question for you is, are you the one who accepts colonialization and assimilation? Are you the one who chooses the ancient paths, goes back to the religion of our ancestors, the thought process of our ancestors, lives in a holy way in front of the Most High Yah, and then allows him to set up your prosperous, what looks prosperous and successful. Not getting our stuff from assimilation and colonialization, but getting it through meditating on the laws, statutes, commandments, and judgments of the Most High Yah. As I said in the intro, movies like Judas and the Black Messiah invoke certain Emotions, certain thoughts, epiphanies, ponderings, or whatever you want to call it. But what I hope that you have taken away from this podcast episode is that you don't need to assimilate or accept colonialization, as the brother did in this movie, as an FBI informant. But if you accept the ancient paths, return back to the Most High, he most definitely will accept you. And then and only then can you be prosperous and successful, no matter what system, no matter what country that you're in. I hope this blessed you. I hope you're encouraged by it. I hope if you go see this movie or any movie like it, that your emotions are not stirred to the point where you begin to hate people. Because we know that we are not a people that um, advocate for violence or hate, but we advocate love for our own. Love for our people, love for our culture, love for our neighborhood, and above all, love for our Elohim. As always, keep it 98 plus 2. Seek the truth, live it out, inform others. Shalom, brothers and sisters.